think we need to put that out. Okay. I think we need to put it out. Okay. But uh, you want to do what? You no, I thought you said you wanted to revisit it because I was like, shoot, I mean, it's so hot and heavy. It's such a hot topic. Yeah, it is. But but where would you land it? Welcome back to Properly Brainwashed Commentary on Social Norms, a perspective of everyday choices we make that shapes our narrative of family, work, relationships, and finances. In this episode and every other episode, it's about the women in the queue, people in the queue trying to make it work, make it happen. Properly Brainwashed with your host, AZ and uh, Andrea. Andrea, Andrea, <laughs> Andrea, Andrea, you got all kind of pronunciations of a simple name. Okay. okay. I had anxiety yesterday when Chat GPT went out. I was like, I don't know how to respond to my emails. What's going on? It has been it my happens every day at lunchtime. I it noticed. was nine o'clock. <clears throat> oh, it was nine o'clock. It was like eight thirty, nine o'clock, oh, and that's usually it. when I used to start returning emails. Yeah, yeah. And I had a whole anxiety attack because mm. I had realized my communication had gotten so much better, my efficiency yes. had gotten better because of Chat GPT. Yeah. It was gone. Yeah, yeah. I trust me. I use it now. I, I use it to support my thoughts because I realize some of the stuff is elementary, like it's very basic. It can be, but it's gotten deeper. But you could go in and get a little deeper. Like you say, hey, I, I need you to dive in a little deeper. Give me some more details. I will come back mm-hmm. with you know, what you're expecting. I say stuff so. like, I give it personality. I'm like, Can you say, can you give me a funny way to say this? Yeah. Can you give me yep. uh, yep. more, you know, I, I give it some mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. uh, adjective to go mm-hmm. along with it. Mm-hmm. And it's been working <clears throat> out. All right, let's get to you. You said some topics. You got some topics. Okay, but before we get to those topics, and I think that this will help us get there, um, I got triggered yesterday. So, you know, we have a network of people, network that um, we've created for years on end uh, within our industry. We're in the tech world, and so, you know, it's always good to be in touch with people along the way, years of relationships that we've created in the business space. And so there is this one guy in particular <clears throat> that I have worked with. Um, I met him at one of my clients um, years ago. And I reached out to him maybe in January. And, you know, he is working at a, a renowned tech company we all know of um he's been there for five years he's a rock star he knows his shit he's technical he's functional his background is a developer uh turned functional consultant so everywhere that i've been with him we make magic together when we do projects like we, we knocked out an implementation a six-month implementation. We did HR, payroll, and benefits administration, just the two of us together for a client. So we have a working relationship. We go to different places. I call him. Hey, what's up? He's like, um, I got laid off. Let me back up. He took a full-time job. FTE. He took an FTE. He was like, you know what? I'm going to, 
let my life is a little stable right now, I'm going to do something that's safe. Yeah, I know. It's nice to be safe. Right? False sense of security. security because, you know, one of our uh, human needs is that we need to be certain. We need to feel stable. Anyway, he's been there for five years. I always, you know, get in touch with him. And he's like, yeah, I got, I got laid off. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you got laid off? He was like, yeah, you know, with the rest of the tech companies, you know, Google, Salesforce, everyone else, I got my email on January 31st. <clears throat> so he was like, it's, it's a pretty interesting story. And I was like, really? Please do tell. And he was like, yeah, so, you know, after the George Floyd incident, the company selects me to be a part of the program to work on the diversity and equity and inclusion for the company because they knew that they had a problem. So they put us a task force together. They told us that we had to work for a year to fix things at this company. like after that after that year was done the COO selected me for a position it was a strategic director position oh my god okay so you know they recognized the work that you put in they valued you you know they set you up for the next high profile job he was like but interestingly enough um, an, another guy took over, and he was the VP of strategic whatever. I, I don't know whatever the topic is. And so I got the position. I was placed in the position. And then a little later, a guy, a 24-year-old white guy, gets hired into my job. 24? 24. 25. He worked, somebody could have burst. He worked with the guy, the, the VP that is now over, mm -hmm. <clears throat> my friend, brings in his friend, who is a professional poker player. Don't laugh. It ain't funny. It's not. So I'm listening to him. <laughs> he was like, Andrea, he was like, I, I wish I could make this up, but this is what his profile was. And I was like, what? Are you, you, you shitting me. And he was like, no. And so at that point, I didn't know what to do. And so I just sat back and was like, you know what? It is what it is. So the position that I ended up in was like a PM role with the internal department. So it's like HRIS, he says. Mm -hmm. um, and so it ended up that he was like a project manager. But, so I think that was two years in that position and he gets cut. Now he gets cut because they don't give a reason why, but you know, you're not billable. Etc. I get it. You're a consultant who's not billable or whatever rationale they came up with. So I said to him, so, so who had your back? If you were there and you implemented the, this program, and I said the man's name, 
I said, if you, how do they bring in a 24 year old guy who doesn't have any experience whatsoever, the magnitude of what you have been doing for 20 plus years, you're a rock star in my book. You're a rock star in many clients' eyes that we have worked with together for years on end. You know your shit. We've made clients so successful with these implementations that we have worked on. How do you get cut? How do you not have anyone protecting you? I, 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 and so what did he have to do? Get to get an employment attorney. <clears throat> so now they're in the middle of figuring things out. So I, I hung up and I, I was like, oh my God. Like, I had a flashback. I had a flashback to the days when I was working at, go ahead and say it, when I was the only one, when I got pulled into the office by the EEOC. Right. When the company was under investigation for unfair treatment of our marginalized group, because that's what we are at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And that was 20 years ago. We are still going through it. So how do we survive? He said to me, um, all the other of us at this company have given up because we just know we have to feed our families. And so we just let it go. And I'm like, oh my God, how can you let it go? Because at that point, there's no change. If we don't speak up, if we don't, if we sit by the sidelines mm -hmm. and let them continue to overlook us for these high profile positions. If we let them continue to bring in their 24, 25, 26 year old friends who are their golf buddies, who are professional poker players with no experience over us who've been working our asses off for years at on end. It makes you wonder how important the work is. Maybe it's not important. Maybe they just need to hit some numbers on the bottom line. They need to hire so many people. So they do. But what does that mean? for? We don't have that many of us in these positions. When you go to a corporate office, how many of us do you see that are in high profile positions that are in strategic leadership positions? How many? Tell me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it. So that's why I left. But, you know. So, okay. So there's no answers. His solution was to get an employment attorney. To sue them. <clears throat> and I am like, go for it. Yeah, that's it. After go for years, it. Why not? Go for it. By, by all means, go for it. So, yeah, there, there is help. But who wants to go through that trouble? I guess we got to do what we got to do. Corporate America is like the last frontier, <laughs> right? It's like they had to deal with housing. They had to deal with uh, the government. Um, but the fact that we left, just like we left the bus system, it, when all of us could integrate inside the bus system, the same way we left 
Auburn Avenue, where all the black businesses were, where we only did business with black people. Mm -hmm. And that's how we succeeded in this country Mm -hmm. prior to the integration happening. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it all goes back there, which kind of brings us into our um, articles to bring up. But our Mm -hmm. topic today is knowing your value and showing your value at work. And what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And so one of the first um, articles that's from The Insider, and that article talks about friend or friend. Did you get everything out first? Did you get everything out? I did say? get it out. You got, you got I, it. I, I, I did get, get it out. I did get it out. I got it out. Switch over. I got it. All right. I, I, I'm just tired of hearing that story over and over and over and over again. And that's why we're here. We're here to help others thrive and survive. Well, let's talk about thriving and surviving because black women are worn out on thriving. I'm um, out from <clears throat> discrimination in corporate America. They're leaving to launch their own business, businesses and creating a talent hole for, industry, uh, for industries across America. So this is something I really love because what's going to happen is, is the more you beat us down, the more we'll just go into our own corners and put our talent with one another. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of good, I mm-hmm. think, in a way that we have to rely on one another again. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying that segregation is bad. I know my Islamic background will do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is the the Jewish knew this very well. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. do business with mm-hmm. one another and we take care of one another. Mm-hmm. Um, white privilege knows this very well. We do business with one another and we take care of our poker players. You understand? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is, is that we have to build our own tech companies, right? And we have to go up the ladder. The currency that we have present day in America is that people have to be on diversity and we can't take our proverbial foot off their neck mm-hmm. from George Floyd. And in order to do that, that means what they did here in Atlanta with the Russell, um, with, with uh, Herman J. Russell, which is a beautiful concept in Atlanta back in the 60s. And that concept was you can't have a development project in this city without having a minority attached. And since we have the currency of minority, minority tech, minority, minority beauty brands, minority, all those things, take all those project management skills, every job you know, sister, Mm-hmm. And take your people, take your Indian folks with you, take mm-hmm. your Indian cousins mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. take your allies oh, with black you. Black and brown people. And take them all yep. with you and start your own company yep. up, right? And that's really what this is all about. Mm-hmm. But let's look at some of the ways that they're saying that black women are dealing are having these issues. The black women are being pushed out of corporate America by microaggressions, mm-hmm. belittling, mm-hmm. and burnout. Mm-hmm. Some are starting businesses of their own and teams of their own, like I said, mm-hmm. and their departures are likely to, to hurt innovation and profits in America. Mm-hmm. I wanted to take a look at this one piece uh, in the article that kind of lays this out pretty good. Losing Black women is especially worrisome for business businesses because companies with greater racial diversity are generally more innovative, more profitable, and more likely to outperform less diverse ones. And additionally, research suggests that companies with more women in leadership are more open to change and more likely to invest in research than in mergers and acquisitions. What I love about this is that this is a sweet spot now. Women can now become quick and instant millionaires. Take that microaggression, take what you're feeling, know that it's wrong, and have them 
get your own company and have them resource out back out to you. Uh, hey, if you can't, if you can't please them, leave them. Exactly. You know? <laughs> That's it. And, but you know, I I'm reminded of why I have been an independent consultant all this time, right? Mm-hmm. Up until this point, because of the bullshit that we have to go through. Pardon my French, but all of the poli- office politics, all of the microaggressions, you know, just the injustices that we have to go through time and time and time and time again to, to lead us to the point of burnout. You know, it's not, it's not easy when you go into an office and you give someone your all and you bend over backwards and, you know, because you have to prove yourself, right? At the end of it all, the, those of us that are overachievers, that we want to be successful in everything that we do, that, you know, we want to see a project to end, <clears throat> we got to put up with a whole lot of bullshit to get to that point. You got to listen to people make comments about, you know, what you're wearing, what, what you're your driving, like, what your hair looks like, why you change it today. Right. Uh, just conversations. You're like, is all of these microaggressions were me just trying to show up just to try to show up and be my true self. And now you pulled up, you put a wall in between us. Cause I'm like, okay, is that like necessary conversation right now that I got on a Rolex or that I have on a diamond wedding, a wedding ring, ring as most women do as who are everyone else does. I mean, so why is that a office discussion? Did you see my ring? Why is that up for discussion when we have bigger fish to fry? Like we're here solving system problems, million dollar problems. I, I'm definitely a neurodivergent kind of person. I'm not, I'm awkward around people. And I know people don't believe this because I perform, but I'm very awkward around people. I don't always say the right things or it comes across with half a thought and all that stuff. But the reason why I don't like inviting small conversations because it leads to another conversation I'm not interested in having. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of thing just it really bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like if you're talking about what I'm wearing, all of this, if I just don't talk to you at all, it just it just stops it. It's easier for you. It's easier. I know it's easier to ha- not to have that connection because now I'm forced to talk some BS. Some with BS with you. Some right. small chit chat that is at the end of the day gonna insult me. Because some of them feel that they can say what the hell ever they want and they could just get away with it. No, it's like, don't, I, that's how I feel like, don't give them an inch. If I give them an inch, they'll take a quarter mile. So here, here, here is what it is. How do we survive in this? Because at the end of the day, we still need to, to live, right? I mean, we, uh, what's the, the social norm? You graduate college, you get a job, uh, corporate America. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Okay, so for those that are up and coming, that are still going on that trajectory, you know, what do we tell them? Well, you can do one or two things. You can end up like the character Rachel Zane in Suits, which is our Meghan Markle, where you press out your hair and you look as presentably comfortable to them as possible. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Or you wear your natural and watch them fuss and fret over that. And, you know, eventually you'll get picked on. One of the folks in the article that it was based on was Sage Stewart. And she says to be told that all of a sudden that you're not meeting their expectations, that you're literally being blindsided, being made to made to 
being made to be in some cases the scapegoat for others, other people not performing well. And so here's this trick when you get rid of black women or women of color inside of organizations that, okay, you no longer have a scapegoat. So the scapegoat isn't there. Who does it become? There you, it becomes the people who really aren't doing the work in the first place. Exactly. Which, which is going to be great. So yes, we're on a, this trajectory of the a decline. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a heavy decline of about about five percent, less, more less than five percent of Black women leaving the the workforce compared to white women. But part of that is you won't have the scapegoat, mm-hmm. and if you don't have the scapegoat, the guy who hires his poker player is is slowly going to roll downhill. Mm-hmm. Give it three, give it five years, and mm-hmm. they're going to be without a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just part for the course of the fragility of the white male perspective slowly falling to pieces. And then your company is going to, the stock price that you thought was going to be too It's going to go to a dollar. It's going to go to a dollar. <laughs> How much is it selling below the line? It's selling below the line. It's going to go to a dollar. But I don't like ugly. It's going to come yes, back me. to you That's some way or another. It's, it's going to get there. So we're all in a fret over it. But if you can't please them, leave them. And I know that's easier said than done, but some of us, some of us have been in our organizations for quite some time. We have a hefty 401k. I'm not saying survive mm-hmm. off that. I'm saying be nice about it. Be, be Not be kind, but be nice. Mm-hmm. Give them all the agreeable pleasure that they need as you exit, and they can hire your company Here. as a consultant. Here's what you do. You get all the knowledge that you need to create your resume. Get that resume tight. Come in with confidence that you need that people can't deny you because knowledge is power at the end of it all. So get what you can. They're using you. Get, you know, they, they, they're so you're saying get the resume to get another job. Get your resume together to get another job at the end of it all. But I mean, if you're not happy, if, if you're being unfairly treated, first you got to recognize that. I wouldn't take there and sit, sit there and take the abuse, which a lot of us do. A lot of us let it fall on deaf ears for the sake of, I got to feed my family. But at the end of it all, that will burn you out. And now you got a whole lot of stress and illnesses because you know about your body is gonna some way, shape or form take on that so that I have the knowledge and expertise for my career path. You know, like, I'm not sure what exactly is going on, but my whole thing when I heard this story was, why wasn't he protected? Why wasn't he protected? And why aren't a lot of us protected if they have these programs in place? How, how do you, how do you end What up? does protection look like to you exactly in corporate America? I don't quite understand that concept. <laughs> you don't understand that concept? I don't. Okay, they get protected. They, don't you see? So here's the thing. You compare how they treat others, so that is the white man, a white woman, compared to us. So the only way that we know that something is off is, okay, John Smith over there gets the pass. He gets his promotion based on his potential. Oh, we know that, you know, he'll be okay because he did this project 
He did X, Y, Z, A, B, C. But you get overlooked, even though you have 20 years of experience. He gets your position with less experience. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see protection. I just, who, who, what, what I see is them just being the, the network they've been. I, I don't know. I don't understand. Okay. So they have people, they have a voice. They have an advocate. They have someone who's going to fight for them regardless. Yeah, you fight for who, who looks like you most of the time. Okay, so who's doing that for us? The question is, when you interview mm-hmm. in a job, you know your value. And if you know your value and you're not like begging at this job, chomping at the bit of the job, if you know your value, then you ask the question, um, what does your mentorship and program look like? I would never actually mention the word diversity. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because that's a, a kill word, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what does your mentorship look like? What is my avenue and career path? I would really like your company. I would like mm-hmm. to grow with it. This is this is my talent now, but mm-hmm. where I see myself going is X, Y, Z. Can you tell me what your mentorship program looks like, mm-hmm. or who would you assign to me so I can grow better? Okay, this is who you're going to assign. Okay, I don't like this company. I'm out. I do like that. I, I like that you know, you're forward thinking in the interview process and that you go in with a plan. And I think a lot of us don't go into a company except in a job with a plan. You're just happy you're getting the job. And so to have that foresight to say, hey, you know what? I need to understand what my career potential is because I want to stay here long term. You know, it's, it's a part of the evaluation process. So yes, you want me, but do I want you? You. So setting up knowing yes. your value. That's a, I love that's that. an important part. Yes, I love that. So I think you know to our listeners, you know, when you take a job, you know, to your point, understand what that mentorship program looks like. But for those that are there already, then leave. If you can't please them, leave them. Leave. that's it leave and when you go to your next job take the lessons learned with you and understand you are valuable Mm -hmm. you have Mm -hmm. talent you have skill set you have tenacity you know what you're working for Mm -hmm. not only just Mm -hmm. to get a check but to for your livelihood and lifestyle so why hurt yourself health-wise because it does nothing but hurt you health-wise to stay in a position or to stay in any sort of relationship Yes. That is chronically bad. Yes. Right? Nothing but mental distress. Get up mm-hmm. and leave. Because it's not just mental distress, it also ends up into a physical health ailments. Yes. yes. Get up. Especially if you're in corporate America, you, mm-hmm. you earn that degree, you've earned that talent, you've earned that skill set. Take them for all they've got. Take them for all the tuition, all the certification programs that they have to offer. Take them for all of it. Let those microaggressions roll off your tongue and laugh in in your head at what they could be doing. And then move the heck on. In the next company, you go, okay, you know what I need to see? I need to see what my path is going to be like here. I want to know how long your employees normally stay with you. I would like to know, like, um, if someone, can you give me an example of someone coming from entry level all the way to C-suite? Mm-hmm. And when you start pushing applicants mm-hmm. by the hundreds, start pushing these mm-hmm. folks into real questions that they have to think and consider, then that's how you change without having all the lawsuits, without getting into situations that cause you stress in the first freaking place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. I like that standpoint. And you have to be aware. You have to go in with the knowledge to ask the right questions to get exactly what you want out of that company. And a lot of us don't do that. 
a lot of us don't know our value because we're so happy to get the job and it might be our sixth interview and you might have to go home and you might have had to take a second and take out your 401k or maybe you don't want to take out your 401k you're like you know what i gotta get on that some assistance or something i don't know people's situation especially if you have kids or you just got especially if you're a single mom if you're a single mom but know what's know what it's worth Mm -hmm. and that way if you can show up and say this is my value Mm -hmm. They'll appreciate it, it's a, it. They'll appreciate if, you if, later if they're a good company. You will determine that. Yes, you will determine that. If yep. they can't give you one example of someone coming from entry level mm-hmm. over to the high end of VP, if they mm-hmm. can't sit down with you and say, "Okay, I want to meet this so and so," what they now understand of who you are. So we hold them accountable. You hold them accountable now for the change that we want to see in Just, the work, but in a simple thing as an yes. interview process. Yes, because. Asking this mm-hmm. different questions begets different answers. Yes, it does. That's it. Yes, it does. And they may not have it today, but for the next interviewer, that's how you leave space for the next person. Mm-hmm. Are you your sister's keeper? Mm-hmm. You leave space for the next person by asking some questions, by being difficult. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're not a single mom. Maybe you are a cushion. So ask the questions for the person who has to take that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Our next topic coming up um, I don't know. These uh remote tracking devices. <laughs> now that people are starting to do three days off, two days in the office. I was Ooh. surprised to hear that. 78% of employers are using remote work tools to spy on you. And here's a more effective and ethical uh, approach to tracking employee product- uh, productivity, according to entrepreneur.com, is that the research shows that this is a tempting practice for most from 83% of employers, but it's also ethically questionable for the work at home and hybrid model. And so how do you trade a trust culture with a more spy on you culture is like part of what's going on here. And so what does this productivity surveillance mean? Um, what are they doing? They're tracking keystrokes, uh-huh. clicks. <laughs> They're trying to talk about micromanagement. You know what I mean? How many Ooh. times you type and I guess you could just like open up your computer and just start right. for no, doing nothing. But I think, does that article say that they record you too? Like the camera will come on and they'll see you? There's a camera? I thought, I, I, and maybe I misread that. Maybe it was a different Oh, maybe so. Uh, there's no camera, but they are tracking keystrokes and clicks. They're logging. Um, how many times you logged on to a certain app? They're tracking website usage, analyzing me- message frequency and length, and how long it takes you to get to the message. Isn't that excellent? Why would you go through all that? Now, don't you have productivity reports that you're you're running? What are these people doing? Well, that's that what they're working from home. That's what they're like, saying. Where is the trust? Is like, this morale? That is like a toxic environment. But 78% of companies are doing that. Which is basically all of them. That's everybody. That's everybody who can afford it, right? That's everybody <laughs> that who can afford it that have said, you know what? It's okay for you to work remote because I'm going to track your ass anyway. It's probably built into the VPN system it at is. this point. It has to be. And the laptops that they send to you. Yeah. So I thought... <laughs> They're saying that... that- the surveillance, these productivity surveillance um, damages the relationship between worker and company. It makes mm-hmm. employees like to lie, cheat, steal, pretend to work, and quit. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, these folks, like, what are you going to do? Because some people aren't working. Mm-hmm. 
there are some bad apples. And then some people are, or some people work in different times of the day, and this gives them that opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I was thinking, um, I've been most successful at client sites where you had flexibility. Now, it's not as if you're not going to work, Right. You have, a, you have an assignment. And I, I guess from, for the work that I do, I have to work <laughs> regardless. So what, what jobs do you have out there that you don't trust that your people are working? Like if, if you can't work remotely, what are they going to be doing in the office anyway? Like to explain to me what that job looks like. They have you on Zoom call meetings eight hours for the day, right? Mm-hmm. So they see that you're on the call talking about God knows what when you're on there eight hours a day, okay? So when you're not on those calls, you have tasks that you have to complete. So are you telling me that they're not doing those tasks? Do you not follow up as a manager with your employees, on the work that they're doing that you feel you have to actually see if they're going to be online between nine and five. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember I had a, a, another client and she was like, you know, Andrea, don't let me have to search for you. She's like, I don't care when you're online, you're going to work remote. I don't care. You could, you could be midnight to 4am as long as you do the work. I value that client so much that because she gave me the flexibility. I actually had um, an, a family emergency where I had to work from home and she was going to allot that for five months. So that's nice. Yeah. I mean, so those are clients that are flexible and they trust you as a professional that you're going to do the job that you were hired to do. doesn't know what to do. So we're used to grit Hard work, elbow grease, this is supposed to be our way, right? And we're used to working overtime. That's why the French make fun of us, like we work too hard and we're not as productive. So if you think about it, this is new to America. We don't take siestas. We don't care about no, the, human, the humans no. of it all. All we care about is the, the face value, race. the rat race, the productivity. Mm-hmm. If you grind harder and you're tired to the bone, you come in at seven, you leave at seven. I I used to be... Um, celebrated because I was a seven to seven em- employee mm. at, at, yeah. at that place. At that place. Oh, I was wow. a seven to seven employee. So I was the first one in and last one out. And I remember they were hiring somebody new and they're like, yeah, you're going to have to be like AZ because she comes in. And they didn't know. I was just trying to learn. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what this company does. So I spent those hours to educate myself. And that's just how I handle things. Naturally, mm-hmm. if I don't know a company mm-hmm. and I don't know what they're doing, you're honing in on your. Place. I have so to hone it in because I was like, I don't know what these nurses are doing down here. So mm-hmm. let me go figure out and let me go take the test that they take. Let me see what their entry level is like. Mm-hmm. I went down and just really got to it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't anything of me trying because I had to report, mm-hmm. and if I have to report on, it, I need to know what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. You have to understand the process. I have to understand the process, so it wasn't anything special mm-hmm. that I was trying to be. Right. It's just how I approach mm-hmm. anything new. Is I have to dig all the way in for mm-hmm. hours at a time. It's just my nature, but I don't think it's it's fair mm-hmm. if someone else 
doesn't learn or doesn't really need to do it that way. Mm-hmm. But I became excellent, the, the model employee. And I'm like, I'm really not, y'all. I just didn't know anything. Because you worked 12 hours a day. Because I was the first one in, last one out. But yeah. I wasn't trying to be first one in, last, right. last one out. I just... You just wanted to be the best that you could be. I wanted to understand what mm-hmm. I was doing and enjoy it because I thought I could help. And if I think I can help, I'm going to dig all the way in. And with that particular company dealing with nurses, mm-hmm. I felt that I could offer some some insight mm-hmm. that the people at the top needed for the people at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And my job, my ministry at that point was to serve the bottom and serve mm-hmm. the top. Mm-hmm. And so the, it wasn't anything special to it. Mm-hmm. But the way that we praise people who work like maniacs, but at a certain time, I got exhausted. Mm-hmm. Of course. So you're like, all oh, happy. But I'm like, okay, if you're mm-hmm. going to continuously give me the gold star for 12 hours, I actually only want to do this for this little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And once I learned it, then I was going to be out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was right. doing it for a few months, and then right. I was going to be back to back. When we get to this part, after all we discussed, I'm starting to wonder, does facing racism as a child in America shape our self-value system? Um, I don't think I've ever been called the N-word. Mm, um, yeah. yeah, but that's because of my complexion and my my features. You know what I'm saying? It's, that's mm. the only possible reason. If I have, I probably was like, oh, okay. <laughs> it wasn't a thing for me. <laughs> but at the schools, let me tell you, I, my my most indelible memory of racism when I was raising my children. And so two things happened for my oldest. He was in middle school. And they had career day and everybody got a chance to pick their careers. Well, my son had picked a career, but they didn't want to do that. So they sent him to the grocery store to be a bagger. And they was like, oh, you can, this would be your future. Right? So that's one. Schools, that was, the schools really introduced me to racism. So I had never experienced that. They I mean, took him to be a bagger on career day? At Kroger, right? So that was Hold one. Up. Here in Georgia? In Georgia. In Gwinnett County. Snowball. No. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. what what school was what? Yes. And the second time we had moved to East Cobb, which is supposed to be American City because it's always yeah. all mixed up, right? And so we had moved to East Cobb, and so my youngest son is in school in elementary, and they have a history day. They decide a history day that you're gonna dress up and be whatever you, you know, thing in history. And so they sent him and his friend home to dress as slaves. Okay. And so, so I went to the school. You're lying. I'm not. I straight up ain't. They told I I'm I'm a straight up lion. <laughs> they told him to My come friend, home and be a slave. Yes, and I went ballistic, so he became a captain. He became a colonel in the army by the time I finished. He I had I had sewn up actually a friend of mine from uh the old company was over. I was up at midnight sewing up his colonel hat and his coat, right? He was a colonel. And his friend, which was my friend, my neighbor, she lived in the same subdivision as me. She didn't protest. She was from Cali. She didn't protest. And sure enough, and her, my son is, is, is lighter complexion, right? He's like butter, right? And her son is very dark. And so they put him in those slave clothes with torn up and sent him to school. And I had a fit still. And I sent all kind of letters. And why did she do that? She's from Cali. I don't know. She didn't want to rock the boat. What the heck? I don't know. You know, I, I blow up the spot. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I'm confused. So, I'm confused. Please. That, that was my first. Those are my main experiences. But the teacher said for Black History Month? It wasn't Black History Month. It was just history. They were doing the American Revolutionism crap. 
And I was like, oh, no, you're not. And so I had went in with the vice <coughs> principal, the principal. I wrote a letter, but they still, because I was the only one complaining, she didn't complain. And I was like, you have lost your mind. So I went up to the school and watched it, and I was just as offended as if it were my child because that was a kid that was in the neighborhood, you know? I was so offended. I was offended him because he's around here with these like floody pants that are like um, shaggy at the ends and his torn shirt. And he's a darker guy. He's, he was a darker kid, tall too. He's like one of the tallest kids in the class. Sweet as pie. I was like, how dare? And they had this whole reenactment for the school. And I was like, how dare you? But my son was the colonel. Yes. I wasn't playing no game. Exactly. I was like, oh, I sold up the best freaking costume ever. Wow. But you see, like that—that's my form of racism. Indoctrination. Head at such a young age. It's indoctrination. Yes, it is. And so is. I, if if racism really did it has mm. happened, it's probably happened to me for sure. Mm -hmm. I don't have the indoctrination of it the same right. way. Right, right. So that's what pissed me off the most. But it happened on the baseball team too, and I corrected them then. Mm. Like. Wow. But those are the two. See, I, I was never raised like that. I wasn't and either. So I have a problem when I see it. And I, but I didn't know that it existed. I didn't know what it was because I never experienced it at the time. It's not until I look back at those. <clears throat> My first experience was in high school in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I had a, took an algebra test, whatever our class it was. And um, a white guy went up and said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I made a careless mistake. I um, I said four plus three equals 12 when it's seven. Mm -hmm. He was like, okay. Changed his grade. So I look at my thing and I'm like, oh, shoot, I did the same thing. I go up and I take my test to the teacher. And I said, hey, I made a mistake. Just like him, he changed my grade. And he looked at me and he said, what more do you want? You already got an A. And I was like, but I got this wrong. I, you, you, changed, the same treatment. I, you changed his grade. So I want you to change mine. Mm -hmm. And he ended up changing it. But I walked away and I never forgot that. I'm like, he treated me differently. And I didn't know why. Another time... I had, um, and this is still high school in New Jersey. I was the only black kid in the class. And I took a test and I got 100. And the teacher asked me to stay back after class. And I was like, sure. So he took my test out and he said, um, you got 100 on your test. Mm -hmm. How come? What did you do? Easy. Now I didn't know that he was being racist. Like I was shocked. I'm like, no, I'm from Jamaica. No, I'm, I'm like 16 years old. I'm getting it. So I'm like, why did this man single me out to ask me how I got a perfect score? So my innocent answer was I studied your notes. That's how I got a hundred. He was like, oh, okay. He didn't say good job. He didn't say. He just mad because he couldn't catch you up. But looking back, 
I didn't know what that was. That's why I say segregation is helpful. For and so I hated New Jersey. I was like, so when I went to college, I was like, oh, okay. Segregation is helpful for that reason. If you go to all your whatever school, all Indian, all black, mm-hmm. all Mexican, all whatever, you don't have to deal with all these complexities and the small things and biases people and the, and the racist items that they put in your, they put indoctrinate into you. So I hear you loud and clear and I see the benefit of that, but that's not the world that we live in. It's been like 13%. That's a lot. I do not believe we're only 13%. I just just looked it up last night. We all look it up and they've been saying that same, you know how long they've been saying that since I was a kid. What are you, we dying at the same rate and they were born? What the hell? Anyway, like you can't live in America and not need therapy. We all do. It's America. America needs therapy. I'm out of coffee.